This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have from the Buckeye State... Let's go. Yeah, Ms. Ashley Fitzsimmons, how are you today? I am fantastic. Super excited to be here with you guys. Well, that's what happens when you ask if you can get a cartoon, we turn you into one. So (laughs) that was a uh, that was a fortuitous thing that you did there. Why don't you? So, a um, I know that we're going to get to the question on why you're the Beyonce of insurance. So I would never open up with the thunder. (laughs) It would just be all downhill from there. Why don't you let everybody know a little bit about who you are and and your background and kind of what you're doing now, and then we'll just, we'll wrap for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, So basically where I started out first 10 years of my life, I was in a family insurance agency back in Northeastern Pennsylvania near Scranton for any of you office fans out there. Um, That place does exist and it's portrayed exactly how it is on television. So Yeah, did you live on a beet farm? <laughs> I did not. I did not. And I do love beets, though, which is really random. I have some they're in my fridge right now. They're actually not bad. Like, I, 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 oh, enjoy, I, do, I enjoy them in my Greek salad from right? uh, the Hungry Greek. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. My, we actually have beets in our refrigerator right now that are vacuum sealed that you buy. They're already peeled and everything because apparently, like, we can't peel our own beets. Peeling so. beets is pretty easy. Um, thank yeah, you. but like pickling them and making them good is hard. So like, just buy them. It's easier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that it is. And it's really not something in my vernacular anyhow. So we're not really that worried about it. I do it. have a Dwight Schrute beet farm shirt that I got from Target for about $15. It's actually super comfortable. I, I actually may have been in the car with a gentleman who drove to Scranton, Pennsylvania from a city in West Virginia, I will not identify to obtain a false driver's license at one point. Um, I have no culpability in it, but yeah, it was just a weird thing. And I, and I was in Scranton and didn't know why. So, that is so random. It, it is. Well, it is. It's one of those things that when you're younger in life and somebody comes by and you're in Morgantown, West Virginia, and they're like, hey, man, let's go to Scranton for the day. I'm, like, I'm in. I didn't know what's there. Let's go check it out. So we did. It's awesome. But it's funny because when when the office pans in and they give you that landscape shot of what it looks like, it I mean it's obviously Scranton in 
the office's pictures, but it is. It is exactly what it looks like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great show. And I was definitely going to make a joke about that being my family's side business with the credit cards and, or the IDs. But I thought maybe since we're being recorded, I won't throw those out there. <laughs> You'll learn very quickly. I don't have a filter, so you might have to. That's all right. Neither do we. And the statute of limitations is up on that deal anyhow. So <laughs> Perfect. Look, if I if I said I didn't do stupid things when I was younger, which by the way, I don't even know why I'm making excuses. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I just was in the car. I do stupid things now. Yeah, I know. It, anyways, sorry. So talk a little bit. So you you're you're in Columbus now. You you know we got sidetracked yeah. on Scranton. So catch us up. Sorry. Yeah. So in Columbus now, uh, made a little bit of a career change. You know, in being in the office, I absolutely loved what I was doing. The family business is still going. Just needed to. Take a little detour because I realized as much as I loved helping my clients on a daily basis that there was such a need out there to help independent agents. I mean, I it's so important. I always like to point this out no matter who I'm talking to. You know, we have this little bubble that we live in with these podcasts and these conferences that we go to. And they're awesome. We meet some amazing people there. But outside of that bubble of those agents that are doing these incredible things, there is still like... 80% of agents out there, 80% of our constituency here in Ohio that don't do those things or don't know about these people and all these great resources available. And you sit there and you wonder, man, how can I make my voice be heard so these people can thrive and grow even better? And I mean, I just realized that I wanted to take a little break and come out here and see what I can do to help even more agents just, you know, not get eaten up by the big guys, essentially. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like this, this bubble is great that we live in. And like I said, there's so many people doing some amazing things. You've got Seth Zaremba out there who's on a level that I'll never be on in my lifetime. But then you've got the other agent out there that still doesn't have an, an agency management system. And I, I want to help. I honestly, yeah, I honestly think that Seth Zaremba may quite possibly be an alien. <laughs> He's got to be something. You know, I just want like if I could have like 10 percent of his brain power that it's like that movie Limitless. Like you can't access all your brain. He accesses the whole thing. And I'm still at like five percent. Yeah, he's a that's an interesting dude and a friend. Um, I try not to talk to him about technical things too much because otherwise I'm just way outmatched in that conversation. It's funny. I I actually recorded a podcast for them yesterday with Sid. She she wanted uh, had asked me to come and talk to them for a little bit. So I feel like through osmosis over the interweb, I got a little bit smarter just from vicariously being exposed to Seth through Sid. Exactly. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So what what specifically is it that you're doing in your role right now? I mean, obviously, you're an advocate for the independent agent. Um, what's a day in the life look like? So right now, we did a little bit of transitioning back in March when, when COVID hit. Um, you know, our education department, um, we had some people moving around within our organization, and I actually started taking over education and leading that section. Um, so once I get that back under control with all of the changes with virtual classes and scheduling for next year, because we have no idea what's going to happen, um, I'm going to kind of go back a little bit more into my role of the biggest thing I was doing here that I absolutely love is it's called IA Circle, where we started a group with future leaders or brand new agency leaders that still have 20 years or more left in the industry. And we've created like little mastermind programs for them, essentially, where it's um, super, you know, confidential and small little groups that can get together. They have people that they can talk to. You know, everyone signs NDAs. There's no competition. And that's the thing is I'm amazed at how many people don't 
necessarily worry about the NDAs because that's when you know that you've got a good agent who wants to do the right thing for their clients and they're not keeping everything super secretive. If I can't help a client, I'm going to pass that off to another agent that can. And that's what I love about the groups that I've already created is that everyone is so open to sharing and saying, listen, this is what's going wrong in my agency. What did you guys do? How can we fix this? And nobody's sneaky or conniving or trying to steal anybody else's business. And that's what I love about this industry is that so many people are there to help one another. You just need to be open to asking for help and to getting help and also to be able to give other people help as much as you're getting from them. Well, there's so much business out there to be had for everybody. There's no need to be you know, sneaky and, and kind of you know, sly with things, in, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know if you'd agree, David, but it's what I've seen. No, I mean, it's funny because agents are weird to a certain degree. I'm one of those people that I would be open and collaborate with about anybody unless they were just a jerk, in which case that I wouldn't be interested in helping right. them. But, you know, it's one of the reasons why when we launched Killing Commercial, we gave an hour and a half radius of exclusivity for any of the agents that came into that program because you know i understand that in order for us to build that the way that we wanted to build it and have the social component of it be so huge which i don't know how much you know about any of that actually but we we actually have a commercial insurance training program and we build a full-blown social network for the members of our, our community so you log in there's a news feed and a you know, timeline and all of that stuff, just like there's in Facebook, but it's agents, you know, going back and forth, sharing ideas, offering advice, whatever else. You can't have collaboration and competition simultaneously exist. So there has to be either a understood respective boundaries there that is insinuated or it has to be formalized. And in our case, we formalized it because it made sense and the agencies that are that are in our program are paying a, a chunk of change to get in. So I want to make sure that they have a leg up on the people that are in there in that area. Once you take an agency principal or a producer for that matter, and you put them into an environment where they feel safe, that they don't have to worry about what they're sharing is going to come back against them or be, you know, be used to take an account from them or whatever else they're the most giving people in the world as far as that mm-hmm. goes, right? I mean, people are willing to pick up somebody else's back. The referrals that fly back and forth just inside that group are fantastic. And it's uh, it's pretty cool to uh, to check out. So I, I, I know the dynamic and it's interesting to see how different people manage that that issue. Definitely. Not even, def- not even just the referrals. Like something that I learned, you know, in the first 10 years that I was there is there were very few agents that I didn't have a good relationship with, or at least like a good rapport with. And when I say very few, I can think of one. I'm not bitter about that at all. Um, but you know, if, if some, <laughs> not at all, not at all. Um, no, he, Kyle said, Kyle said, who oh, no, yeah. <laughs> great. You'd have to edit that out. I'll probably slip. Um, but you know, if somebody, if a client came to me and I looked at that, you know, their deck page and saw, you know, it's, oh, this is David's agency. And I have a good rapport with you. The first thing I was going to do before I even quoted it is I was calling you and saying, hey, so-and-so is quoting their policy. Like, maybe you want to reach out to them. And it's, if anything, even if you say like, no, go ahead, just take it, whatever, which hopefully you would at least look into it. If anything, it's going to open to your, open your eyes to like, hey, what am I doing wrong? Why are they searching their insurance? So even if you lose that piece of business, it's going to make you better in the long run. And then you're going to feel more comfortable that I'm not trying to pick off pieces of your business. So it's just, I don't understand. I understand why people hold things like, you know, close to their chest with that old school mentality. I get it. But, you know, the magic happens when you start working with one another. I mean, just 
go, go look on, go out your front door and look on the street both ways. Like there is so many things that need to be insured. There's like you said, there's enough right. out there for everybody. So mm-hmm. why, why are you nitpicking and fighting with everyone? Just work together. Well, yeah. And you know, I, I've been doing this almost 20 years now. And over the course of my career, I I've had, there's probably five or six producers that work at competing agencies that uh, I've competed against the whole time that I've been in the industry that I know they do a good job. And even if I have the ability to get in front of their client, I just respectfully walk away from that business. You know, there's plenty of other business that's out there. Why would I go in and disrupt a relationship when I know that nothing is probably, there's probably nothing wrong. I do exactly what you said. I'll pick up the phone and say, Hey man, just wanted to let you know my appointment setter got me into your account. I'll go talk to them, but I'm letting you know that I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to affirm the fact that they're in the right place. Right now that might be going above and beyond from what the average person would do, because I would go sit with somebody for 30 to 45 minutes, knowing I was never going to get that business. But what I can tell you is that also came back. So that, you know, when I've done that in that past, that same producer has had the same thing happen and basically has, has done exactly what I've done. And so that's pretty cool. What I also am going to say is for the agents that are out there listening, if your clients leave you, it's never the insurance that they're leaving you for. It's never. You did something or didn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, my my new thing that I've been on, and it'll be a theme for the foreseeable future, is that as agents – insurance is the common denominator. That's what all of us do. We're all licensed. We're all, we all work for licensed agencies. And that's the one thing everybody has in common. If you want to be successful, if you want to go out and and be able to get after good, solid, and I'm speaking from the the commercial viewpoint, specifically in the middle market, you got to make yourself uncommon in a common environment, right? And remove that common denominator. Get insurance out of the equation completely. What are the real root causes of problems? What's going on in the culture of companies? You know, how can you leverage systems and technology inside your own operation to enhance the client experience, not replace it? I mean, I can go on and on with all of the the one-off things that I would have to say about all of that. But at the end of the day, I think that a lot of times agents are so worried, you know, when they lose a piece of business that they lost on on price. I don't know that I've ever lost on price. Not in the not ever. not commercial middle market. I mean, if you're talking maybe maybe personal line stuff, because I think that's just a different. Yeah, I, I, yeah, personal lines to me is extremely commoditized. Right. But even then, to a certain degree, I mean, I'm dealing with this right now with a guy that I I, I have a standing weekly call with that is um, in another part of the country, and he wanted advice on getting into commercial and doing this, doing that. And through the course of conversation, I found out he's losing like a ridiculous amount of personal lines accounts every single month. Hmm. I'm like, dude, you need to stop the bleeding on your personal lines before you worry about expanding. Because what you're telling me is you're basically giving up on the backbone of what's been the backbone of your business for its existence to go out and try and replace the revenue you're losing because you see a shiny object sitting out there. You need the cash flow from your personalized operations to fund everything you're going to need to do to do the other things. So let's talk about what the issues are. Well, as we started you know, going deeper and deeper into what was happening, what I found is that in his part of the country, there are a lot of hailstorms. 
in in the because of the hailstorms, many of the insurance companies have uh, changed the endorse the, the the coverage for a roof to give. I think I want I don't want to botch this, but I probably will. But I want to say that um, they they give depreciated value on a roof in his part of the country as opposed to replacement cost. But he has carriers that are still offering replacement cost, and they push all of their clients into replacement cost. So I said, why are they leaving you? He said, they're leaving me on price. I said, why are they leaving you on price? He said, because these other carriers have slid this endorsement in on you know depreciated value on the roof. I said, well, what have you done to educate your client base to let them know about the difference? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, do you have an automation set up that's a video message from you attached to a blog post that talks about depreciated uh, valuation on a roof and what that means and what the trade-off is in dollars and premium versus dollars of exposure if something were to happen and blah, 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 blah. Do you have a call campaign where you're making sure that you're reaching? And, and we went down the road and, and he said, well, you know, we're too busy quoting. I said, what are you, why are you quoting? He goes, we're quoting and we're re-quoting and we're, I'm like, listen, <laughs> stop, take a deep breath. We need to look at this from a 10,000 foot overview. But basically it all boiled down to the fact they were, they're, they're losing personalized business, not because of necessarily them doing, it's not because they're doing a bad job, What they're doing a bad job at is educating their clients on why they're doing a good job. And I think that that's one gap that I see a lot. So many times in our world, the the agency will go into a renewal and they'll have a stewardship report that says, here's everything we've done for you over the last year. I hate that concept. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It's like, let me tell you why you should let me renew your policies again. We don't do that. If you're not engaging with your clients in real time and you have benchmarked, number one, huge gap because agencies and producers typically don't go in and set quantifiable benchmarks and metrics that they can measure their own performance by and subsequently the performance of their client. So because in our world, we're typically going in and visiting the sick, they've got problems. So we need to document that anyhow. But if you're not setting metrics or benchmarks to measure and then report back in real time, how do you expect your clients to know that you're doing a good job for them? There's no way they could possibly know that. Right. And so that's, you know, that's, that's where I think that there's a big gap is we don't do what we need to do from that angle. Don't stop. I'm taking notes. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let Kyle talk for a second. Let me talk. That's a, that's a huge mistake. I just, I just throw in quips every once in a while. That's all I do. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I, I love everything that he just said, and it goes back to something that, I emphasize all the time to agents because, again, I'll touch on, you know, people that are in our bubble that are listening to this. What I'm going to say next is going to be very basic. But then, you know, the majority of people out there that still are open to learning and growing, um, you know, I always say don't overcomplicate things. You know, mm-hmm. when you go to a conference, you listen to a podcast, people are talking about, um, you know, drones and AI and um, drip campaigns. And, yeah, that's all important stuff. And it's all stuff that's absolutely doable if you have the time and the money and the capacity to invest in those things. And it's stuff that should be on your radar. But if you don't have that or you don't have the basic things yet, just start somewhere. That's that's the worst part is people get so consumed with what they see online and what they read Mm -hmm. and what other agents are doing that 
they get frozen and they don't know what to do. And they think, oh man, if I can't get this new piece of technology, then I'm just going to fail and I'm not going to do anything. No, if you have to, you know, with the roof, the roof replacement cost thing, send out a memo. I know it's old school. I know it's mail, but if people aren't using, you know, email or texting or whatever in your agency, and that's not your clientele, then the memo is going to work. That's going to get their attention and educate them on what they're missing or what they could potentially be missing out on. Or if you're getting that cancellation coming across your desk, are you calling them or sending them something with a follow-up saying, Hey, here's what you're missing out on. We're never going to pressure you into staying with us. Just remember us, you know, in the future, if you're not happy, you can always come back. Like the door is always open. Don't burn your bridges. Yeah. You lost business, but they might come back to you. You don't know. So don't make them feel guilty. Don't make them feel bad. Just let them do their thing. And it wasn't the right fit at the time. And if they come back, great. Right. I mean, it's, it's like the shiny object syndrome that we've talked about a number of times. I mean, you see in all these different forums, this technology, that technology and the the, next best thing. Well, that may not fit your agency based on how you're structured, where you're at in your journey. So you have to figure out, you know, what works for you. If it's working for, you know, David, it may not be working for Kyle, you know, or or Ashley. And and, and that's just how it is. Like, how do you, when you're, when you're talking with agencies, agency principals, how, like, how do you convey that to them? Is there like a specific example you can think of? Or Let me, yeah. let me say something to you. This you is done, the one dude. thing. <clears throat> no, there was a gentleman that was at the front door that apparently didn't realize I was busy. My apologies. <laughs> um, like my buddy, Bernie Borges says, this is a quote that I live by every day. I have every, ever since I read his book imperfect action is always better than perfect inaction. It's never going to be right when you start, but you have to start, right? If you look at, if you look at some of the video content that we've done. So, I mean, if I, if I went way back, like if I went back 10, 15 years to some of the crap that I put on YouTube, talking about risk management and this, that, and the other, and then compared it to some of the stuff that we do now, it's, it's apples and Volvos, but I did it. You know, and that's the whole thing. I didn't care. I didn't care what uh, if people thought, oh, wow, look at this guy. He's on. Ooh, look at him. He's on YouTube. He's talking about insurance and risk management. Yeah, guess what? I'm also getting leads while you're making fun of me. So that's fine. You know, I can't me, me not doing something to generate business doesn't put food on the table for my wife and four kids. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make it happen. And I think we just, we get these mental blocks for whatever the reason is. And there's a lot of people in, in the real weird phenomenon out of all of it, honestly, is the people who spent all the money on all these tools and then never use them. Mm. They throw so much money away because they got wooed into buying something at a conference or just got telemarketed to death, or they just can't say no when they're on a demo or whatever. And they get on these recurring monthly recurring monthly payments for these products that they never use. Yeah, it's because the next best thing just came out. It's like the iPhone, dude. I just bought the 11 Pro Max S, whatever the hell it was, like six months ago. The 12 is already out. It's like, dude. It's like me with exercise equipment and supplements. <laughs> it's like, we all do it. We all do it. It doesn't matter what you know area it's in. I, I, I should be an Olympic athlete at this point with all the stuff that I own. But there's no. There is a 100% chance. There is a 100% chance that we own every single beach body workout and anything you've ever seen on an infomercial. We have, we have a Peloton. We have a, a uh, Bowflex M5. 
We have the selectable dumbbell. Oh, is like from the early nineties, dude. What do you? It's the trainer, man. It's the it's the elliptical thing, not the actual. Oh, like the, the elliptical the slash. Um, like <laughs> the big cat had a bow flex in the garage when I was like eight years old. Yeah, we we have literally all of that crap. And ask me when the. And by the way, big fan of the BSN mass stack. Like you give me some pre workout nitrix in nitric oxide in in, in creatine. And I will take out an entire village. Like I used to, I used to drink Inno Explode in high school, and that stuff is no longer on the market because yeah. I'm pretty sure it made people's hearts. I thought explode. I was going to have a heart attack when I took it. I'm like, I said, yeah. what is this magic? But I feel like I'm dying. Like I would start getting all and, hot and like tingly. It was super weird. <laughs> I don't remember patches of like 30 minutes of my <laughs> life from Inno Explode, and I'm also thoroughly convinced that I could have actually swallowed a ball of tin foil and NO explode would have liquefied it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That stuff was crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But anyhow, back to Kyle's question, Ashley. Sorry, I just wanted I don't to even remember what, I don't the remember question what the question was. is, but I could totally circle this back around to, you know, there's no magic pill. Like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping yeah. there's a magic pill someday so I can lose like 10 more pounds really fast, but like there's no magic pill for insurance. And I think, you know, the most important thing for agents to realize is that, you can't run before you crawl. So you kind of have to do a crawl, walk, run, um, you know, set up in your agency. Don't try to jump straight ahead and go for the, the most expensive, shiny, bright new piece of technology when you don't even have a basic website or a good website for that matter. You need to start mm-hmm. slow and move forward. And then the next thing is once you get past that crawling stage, now you're in the walking stage and you're going to upgrade your technology. Don't expect to just set it and forget it. In demos, I, f- I forget, somebody said this to me one time, you know, I've never seen a demo I didn't like, which is absolutely true. They always look super fantastic and super easy to use when you're watching them. But the truth of it is, once you get down to it, some of them take more work than others. So don't expect to just get this set up in your system and everything's going to run smoothly. It's not going to work unless you work it. So mm-hmm. the most important thing is just you need to put the effort in. Don't spend the money until you're ready to do the work. If you're not ready to do the work, don't waste your time or money. I'm not going to lie. When you when you said work it, I was really going to work on giving a Missy Elliott segue into the Beyonce of insurance. So we're 25 in. It's time. Where did where did the Beyonce of insurance come from? I got to hear the story. There's got to be a story. I mean, I just I'm a very big personality, and I come from a very small town. Our town is a mile long. There's no stoplights, and I just felt like when I was on LinkedIn and, you know, reaching out to agents and going to these conferences, producer and agent just wasn't cutting it for me. That didn't like scream my personality right from the get go. So I started thinking to myself, like, who is somebody that I kind of resonate with? You know, Beyonce is someone that consistently is saying in interviews and things that she wants to promote women within her industry and with all industries. Um, that she's a huge proponent of helping women get forward in their lives. She's a very strong, independent woman. She doesn't rely on anybody for anything. Now, granted, I'm sure like she can rely on people now because she's made it that far and she can do whatever she wants. But, you know, she worked hard to get where she is to build her kingdom of whatever she has. So I just thought, you know, what? I want to be the Beyonce of insurance. I want to get out there and help other women thrive in this industry, too. And And that was a big thing when I came here as well. You know, along with these IA circle groups, I started women's groups as well. And they're, they're not as intense um, as the futures groups that we have, but they're just a forum for women to get together and talk about not just insurance, but life. 
you know, life in general, how is how is their personal life overflowing into their work life and finding that balance or that integration between the two and realizing like, hey, you're not alone. We all go through this. And I mean, it's men, too. They go through the same things, but it's just super comforting to know that there's other women out there going through the same exact stuff and trying to balance everything that you're doing. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to be the Beyonce of insurance. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to help people. I'm going to help women. And a huge one of the reasons that that really resonated with me in the beginning is that the first conference I ever went to, I want to say I was two years into the agency. I really didn't know what associations did, what their purpose was other than getting a license, um, you know, getting education. This thing came across my dad's desk for an executive management conference. I had no business being there. I was too young, but I said, dad, I just want to go and see what it is. So I went and I walked into this room. I was like the opening keynote session. And I felt like the seventh grader walking into like the seniors lunchroom when you have like this huge backpack on and you look like a little nerdy person. And I walk in there and there's one table of women in the back corner. The rest are all men. No big deal. So I think, oh, I'm going to go over to the women's table. When I tell you that every single one of them looked me up and down and then just kind of turned their heads, put them down and started whispering. I'm like, oh, this is how it's going to go. Like, Was my wife at that table? <laughs> But, the, and, you know, and I feel bad saying that because I have a really bad RBF. So I've been told that, like, I'm a very approachable person, but apparently my face doesn't scream approachable. So um, I'm trying to work on that. I think it's like an actual medical condition. I'm convinced. But <laughs> I wanted to change that. I mean, fortunately, I made other friends there and connections that, you know, we've been friends ever since for the last 10 years. Jeff Teschke being one of them. That's where we first bonded over going to the University of Scranton together. Um I want to change that. There's no reason that women should put up a wall and be intimidated by a younger, newer version coming into the industry. We should be celebrating that and screaming from the rooftops like, hey, use your voice. Go do what you want to do. I think that there are a lot of things going on right now in the back channels of our industry that are a concerted effort to help propel women further forward than they ever have been before. And I'm a huge fan of that, you know. If you were to ask me, I don't know, when I was a teenager, maybe what I who who what an insurance lady looked like, it's going to be the crusty lady that had the cigarette dangling out of her mouth with the long ash that was bouncing the whole time she was talking to you, like because you could smoke in the lobby of State Farm back then, you know, and they, they actually had until the type- until like the early nineties. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I was a teenager in the early nineties, sir. I realized you were probably in your gestational period back then, but. Um, yeah, whatever. You know, I was I was graduating high school in 1991, but I mean, I think that um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. When we had Denise Bravo and Teresa Kitchens that have the uh, women of the Independent Agency Owners Alliance on and the Power Women in Insurance podcast and all of that, you know, I want to do whatever I can to help promote that. And I think, you know, men are big dumb animals. Okay, I mean, let's just call it what it is. We we're good at certain things, but not everything. And I think that there, that, that really, it, it, as far as advancement, w- regardless of what it is you're trying to advance, if you want a man to do it, you got to lay it out for the letter, right? You have to say that. And I think a lot of times some of our issues that, that are perceived to happen in our industry, because there hasn't been open dialogue about it. There hasn't been open dialogue. Discussions can't happen. It's not that men are necessarily, and I'm not speaking for everybody because I'm there, there's people that ruin everything, but I don't think men by and large are chauvinist pigs and discriminate discriminatory. I just think they don't realize there's a problem and 
you know, their natural defense mechanism is I quit bitching about it. It'll get, it'll fix itself or whatever else. It's not going to happen. But to that same point, I also don't think that it helps if women perceive that they think that men are discriminatory and not doing what they can to advance. And again, I say there are certainly cases where that may be accurate. However, until the two sides, for lack of a better term, but until we can table this stuff, talk through it and say, hey, look, like what caught my attention was I was in one of the insurance uh, agents forums on Facebook or wherever, and there were screenshots of some extremely inappropriate texts that were going back and forth between a female agency principal and a client. And I'm sitting here thinking, holy crap, do you really have to deal with that? Is that, I mean, is that really something that has to happen, that, that happens in your agency? Because it's not something that I, I see happen in mine. And I'm pretty in tune with what's going on here. And that spurred a whole, <clears throat> a whole dialogue. And we don't, I don't have to deal with that for a whole variety of reasons, I'm sure. But, um, you know, it's it's just it's crazy. I, you know, again, like anything else that's going on. Look at all of the crap we're dealing with in our country right now. One hundred percent of what we deal with every day. I would love to believe that nobody likes it. Right. Regardless of what your political, religious, whatever leanings are. It's a stressful time to live in the United States. You don't know where you can go. You don't know what you can say. You know, nothing. You can say the most innocent thing and somebody can twist it and make it whatever they want it to be to come out of your mouth. And they don't know what your mind and your heart had behind the intent of those words. But 100% of that is because we have allowed problems to fester to the point that we're at right now instead of having what? Simple dialogue. That's it. And not just this. Again, it goes back to another one of my new favorite soapbox things is agency owners need to let go of control and start collaborating with the people that are in their agencies. So many times we make veiled attempts at collaboration or listening to the younger generation or whatever else when the whole time it's pomp and circumstance and in our, in, in, the, the older generation's minds, it's, yeah, well, I'll hear what they have to say, but it's not going to work. Or it's it, instead of sincerely listening to someone else's perspective and point of view and realizing that, hey, they may be right. There may be something here. If we get behind this, maybe we can push it in that direction or whatever else. And How do you get past that mental block? I just think that you need to try it. Yeah. Try something. Even if it fails miserably. And then if it does, you don't go back and say, hey, I told you it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It's never worked that way in the insurance industry. Look at how many people have crazy innovations as agents that they've developed because they weren't afraid to take a chance and push the envelope and try and take something to the next level. And that's that's one of the things I was talking with Sid about yesterday when I was on her podcast. I, I just said, you know, I I think another another issue is that agents look down in many cases, on other agents that are innovators. They do. Seth Zaremba is one of the most intelligent people in our industry. Pretty sure not very many people look down on him, but there is a subset of people that say, ha, must not have been able to sell insurance, so he had to go create this product, right? Because that's it. what they think. And, and people are threatened by yeah. it. They look down on it. 
take anything that you do in life. And this took me a long time to realize, but anytime I get upset or like judge, well, I'm very judgmental. I'm, I can't, I can't hide that one. But anytime I get really upset about something, I think, why is this affecting me so much? Why am I so upset about this when it's really not directly affecting my life at this moment? And typically that stem, stems from either I'm threatened by it or I'm jealous by the fact that somebody is doing something. So if we really step back and take a look at those things, stop spin, like stop spinning your wheels complaining about it or saying, oh, you know, he must have not been able to sell insurance, like you just said, and just realize like he's doing something amazing. And if I don't have anything nice to say about it, then don't say anything at all. And I, I mean, golden rule of when you're young, you're, you're hurting yourself by just wasting your time bitching about it, essentially. Just either get on board or go your own way and figure out what you're doing by yourself. I have literally heard it come out of people's mouths. Oh, well, they're failed agents, so they had to go do this. Or they, they failed it as an agent, so they had to go do that. No, actually, they were a reasonably good agent who identified a problem, and they had a great solution to it and chose to take action instead of just letting things continue to be the way they always were. If you can't respect somebody who's willing to step outside their comfort zone and do that, then, you know, you're probably not going to be my friend. Exactly. And comfort zone, you know, going back to you, um, Kyle, you had said, you know, how do you get past that that mental block? I think mm-hmm. for everyone that's listening that is in a you know CSR or account manager role that's sitting there going, oh, yeah, I've tried to give these ideas and my boss won't do it. The best thing I can say is. You need to over-prepare. If you have an idea, even if it's the simplest idea, like you want to get, I don't know, Calendly, and you want to pay for that, like something super small, you need to type out a one-page business plan and make it in black and white. This is why we need it. This is what will happen if we use it. Here's how long you'll take to estimated see results. And here's what it's going to cost us. And if I write five policies, I've already made our money back for the year. So you need to have it in black and white and have every answer that to any question you can think of that's going to come up. And that's when you're really going to earn their trust. And they're going to say, oh, well, you didn't just come in and say, hey, I want to get this new technology or I want to do this. You actually sat there and thought about it and how it's going to benefit the whole business. That's when I think you start to really gain the, the trust of the owners. And they say, okay, you're really thinking about where we're going to go moving forward. And you're not just throwing these ideas out there. So I would say over-prepare for it. And just have have a voice. Don't be afraid to talk to your boss and to bring up an idea. Here's the thing. If you go to your boss and you get wildly shut down and he doesn't he or she doesn't even listen to you right from the beginning, you probably shouldn't be working there to begin with. I think that's what happens is people get comfortable, people get complacent, they don't want to make waves, they don't want to make changes. And that's not the kind of life I want to live. I think that's a great point, though, putting together a plan. I mean, wouldn't you say, David, if, I mean, if, if, if somebody wants to implement a change, aren't you much more likely to take them seriously if they've got something outlined and, and can bring something to you like that versus just spouting something off in you know, our Monday meeting? Well, Kyle, as you know, <laughs> I'm referred to in certain circles as Johnny Business Plan. Right. So, uh, that's true. Yeah, no, I mean – I do. Um, I do think it makes sense. It, it does a couple of things. I mean, number one, yes, it helps whoever the 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 person that's got that has to make that financial decision and commitment. It, it helps them to see that you actually put thought into it. But the other thing it does is it helps whoever that person is realize this is how things happen in the real business world, right? 
I think there's such low barrier to, barriers to entry to get into the insurance world by and large. Um, and I mean, no offense by that at all. It's just, it's pretty easy to set up shop and hang a shingle if you want to. That sometimes people who don't really have formal business training working in a, a, a normal business type environment where that's just commonplace, right? You want something done, you got to make your business case for it. You're the risk manager of an operation and you want a budget for a certain training program or you know equipment that you think will make your people work safer or whatever else. You have to go put a business plan in place and in many times not only show here's what the cost is, here's what the return on investment is. They want to see, hey, here's, here's what our projected payback period is. If we spend this money now, we will be profitable in 18 months and everything after that is going to be gravy. And show that you're thinking that way. You're going to win way more than you lose mm-hmm. if you do that. If if I went in and was cynical about a situation and that person slid a well-thought-out plan in front of me, they have a very high likelihood they'll win me over just because they did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more than conversational BS going back right. and forth because I, you know, people can make stuff up on the fly all the time. But that's kind of my point. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I do think that it would, you know, that that's how I'm wired. And it's also showing you, like, if you're creating, so you know, anytime. Granted, it was a little bit easier for me. I mean, well, it was fifty fifty. You know, being that it was a family agency with you know my dad and my uncle. So my uncle was the business plan kind of guy. My dad was like the yeah, I trust you kind of guy. So I always had to pitch it to my uncle. And the one thing that it really helped with him was he knew that if I'm coming to him with a plan and I'm outlining these things, that it's not going to be another project on his desk. And I think that that's one of the first flags that goes up with agency principles is, great, now what am I going to have to do? It's another thing that I have to worry about. But it's not. I'm telling you that this is something I'm capable of handling. And I will come to you along the way to say, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm doing. So you still have a little control of the reins but I'm doing all the busy work for you. So I think that that's something also to point out right from the get-go is this is not going to cause you a headache. We're going to handle it. I'm going to do it for you. Here's the, here's the plan. Yep. What, um, yeah. what was the biggest learning experience for you transitioning from that family agency environment to what you're doing now? There were definitely a lot of things. I mean, it's it pros and cons. Like I absolutely love being around my family every single day, but I also, mm-hmm. you know, right after college, I went right into the business. It's just, it was good timing. I had never intended to go into the business. It just worked out that they needed me for the summer. They said, if you like it, great. If you don't leave, um, I ended up loving it. Mm-hmm. Coming, coming into the real world, I call it. I mean, it's a great flourishing business. They're doing very well, but I joke that, you know, we still have the mauve carpeting and the wood paneling on the walls. Like it's <laughs> like a seventies, like porno basically it's it, it oh, and the and the frosted glass and the starburst i mean it's is there any other is there any other it's time? coming back though. it's coming back um trying to get my dad to get rid of the duck mural on the wall but that's a side note um but you know i i love working there but it's almost like you're i feel like with a lot of insurance agencies you're stuck in like a time warp where it's like you enter the office and it's like 30 years ago but that's the whole industry in itself with technology and everything yeah we're getting better but you know, we get super excited that we can do, you know, e-signature, but people have been doing that for 30 years. Like there's just little things that we all get pumped up about and we're like, all right, people have been doing this for so long. Um, so I think the biggest transition was work here isn't nine to five. 
Um, you know, whereas I think in the old school agencies, it's nine to five. You're you're in there, you're dressed up in, you know, business business wear, a suit, a tie, whatever. Um, and I come here and I can wear a sweatshirt that says, mom, I'm podcasting because it's not affecting the way I'm doing my job. I'm still getting my job done. I'm still doing what I need to do. Um, and you know, I don't have to do it between nine and five. I can come in at seven. I can take a break at two. So I think for as work life flexibility that the insurance industry as a whole has, it's been a really huge transition coming here and really putting that into action and seeing what it is. And it was hard to kind of break that in the beginning of like, no, I need to be in at this time and I need to leave at this time. It's it, That was the biggest thing for me. Um, and I never left at five o'clock at our office, but that's when work was done. And then I started doing the accounting or the marketing or the extra things. But it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see how you kind of feel like you're stuck in a little time machine in agencies. And again, that's not just our agency. I've been to m- many agencies here in Ohio that I walk in and I'm like, okay, this is like back home. I feel like right at home here. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm in a weird position because I i wouldn't cl- physically, I may be in the old generation, okay? Physically, age-wise, I'm 47 now, so maybe I think I'm kind of a tweener, really. But mentally, I don't think that way. I don't, I don't, and so there's a couple of things that have formed how I think over my life that I think are, are pretty uh, pivotal. The first one is with regard to technology, I think I grew up in the absolute best time for anybody that has an interest in technology and wants to push the envelope moving forward. What I mean by that is when I went to college, email was like just starting. The internet was not something that you could go get readily anywhere. You know, we didn't even have it on campus uh, my first year. And so I watched that. I watched it go from the AOL dial-up and the marketing as to how they sent you the CD-ROMs inside of your mail and all of the other stuff that happened with that. And then we watched how the, the cell phone came onto the scene and how it evolved and how basically you can do anything you need to do with your life now in the palm of your hand. And my kids, you know, they'll say, oh, dad, dad wouldn't understand, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, ah, okay, I'll just continue to play stupid then because – you know, my kids have been born into a time where so much of this already exists, right? Or at least the fundamental technologies behind social media and all of this stuff existed. I have the benefit of not only having it exist, but I watched what it evolved from. And what that has allowed me to do as a business owner is identify when opportunities are there, right? If if I were to say there's something that I'm good at, I see opportunity and I immediately go after it. Now, I might not be good at making money at that opportunity. There's plenty of times I've gotten my rear end kicked, but there are also times where I have been very successful doing something because I realized that a need existed and technology could meet that need. And even if that technology wasn't exactly what it needed to be, I understood how it worked enough to create a solution internally to make it work. The other thing that was pivotal, uh, pivotal, uh, pivotal for me was when I came out of the grocery industry where I was expected to wear the starched white shirt and tie and polishable dress shoes and everything to work every day. And I went into the environment with Super Target where everybody looked like Jake for State Farm 
sands the Balenciagas and guns on yeah. them, you know. What's the deal? I do like sets of curls. Well, not only that, but like, what is he selling at State Farm where he's walking around in Balenciagas and hanging out with freaking Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes? It's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and also, by the way, the reason his curls, his arms are so huge is he doesn't even have to have leg day. Balenciaga's weigh like five pounds a piece. So it's like walking around with irons on the bottom of your feet. It, it, it's crazy. But anyhow, when I, when I went into that environment, you know, we were – Target is a much more progressive – and this is back in the early 2000s. They, they were a much more progressive company. They still are. But I got to the point where I had to mentally overcome the fact that people applying for jobs – didn't always realize they were even coming to apply for a job. We did instant interviews at Target. So you could have a, a mom that just left, you know, Orange Theory in her yoga pants and Hell Week tank top showing up to get some milk and maybe whatever else they, you know, she gets it. And you guys are just like, hey, down. you want an interview? <laughs> no, they sit down at the computer, fill out an application, thinking it'd be nice to have a little jingle in the pocket for uh, the, uh, you know, the holidays or whatever. And next thing you know, here I come around the corner to say, hey, I'm Dave. Pleasure to meet you. I was just wondering if you'd have time to answer a couple of questions about your application. Well, see, so here's the transition, right? When I was in the grocery industry, if you didn't show up in a shirt and tie, I don't care if you were looking to bag or be a, a cashier. You know, if you were a female, I would expect you to have, you know, good professional dress on to come in. You're asking for a job. You're asking me to pay you. And I would have people show up in jeans and a T-shirt. <laughs> I would walk up. To, to meet them. And I mean, I was in my early 20s, so I was even more of a smart aleck then than I am now. <clears throat> but I'd walk up to meet them and, and they'd stick their hand out to shake my hand and say, I apologize. Uh, I thought you were here for a job interview. And, and they would just look at me. And I'm like, you're not dressed like you're here for a job interview. I mean, you want me to hire you, but you're not even putting your best foot forward. It makes me question how you're going to treat my customers. Now, if you're serious, I've got time this afternoon. Go home and change. And when you're ready to put your best foot forward, then come back and talk to me. If they came back and, and they dressed in a shirt and tie or whatever, and they came back and talked to me, I would hire them every single time. I wouldn't even waste the time interviewing them because I knew at that point they were coachable and that they understood. The other thing is I was in a different area of town. So in some cases, they may not even have had money to have a shirt and tie. So I was careful in in how I did that. But most of the time they would figure out a way and they would come back and, and I would give them a job. And, and you know, it, it's funny because I look back now and some of those people are still store managers for that company The uh, today. And, but, the, but the thing with, with super target, it was so crazy is I was used to that. And so I had to get past the mental block of, Hey, this person was just coming to pick up some, you know, sports bras and a couple of, you know, some milk and maybe some groceries and, who knows what's on the uh, what what the street date is today on Tuesday? You know for what's dropping. Maybe they're going to get the new fifty cent CD or whatever. I don't know. But Sick. I can't get over but picturing you, just, you coming you around the corner like really creepy and like them being at the computer and be like, "Hi." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like that. Who's it? Yeah, I don't even know what that meme is from, but it's the guy that like fades down into yeah. the plant and he, what, isn't it that from? from? Isn't a? Oh my goodness. I just isn't it the Simpsons? Doesn't he like back into the bush or something? Oh yeah, no, not, yeah, I know that one, but I'm talking about the one that's an actual human being that sort of crouches oh. down like this and is looking. That's like that's like, that's like you and your skunk ape pose in the in the plant by the pool. <laughs> yeah, 
That's funny. Yeah, so I'll, we might, I might as well share the story now since Kyle decided to bring That's it right. up. For whatever reason, we are enamored with the Florida skunk ape. And people outside of Florida may not be familiar with the Florida skunk ape, but it's a Florida lore. It is uh, back basically Yes, it's a Sasquatch that lives in the Everglades. It is seldom seen and never recorded. Very uh, smell. Yep. And so we uh, <laughs> we Googled it, and we got a picture of the Florida skunk ape. It did not we, disappoint. Just go ahead. I'm going to go it's ahead. It's kind of terrifying. This. Listeners, okay, so you did it. So, listeners, I'm going to need you to go ahead and, and Google Florida skunk ape images. And <laughs> right off the bat, you're going to notice the guy that's creeping behind the palmettos like this. It's, so yeah, it's like this obviously fake thing, but it's like hiding with the palmettos. She's just peering out. Oh, it's my so gosh. Weird. So Kyle, Kyle laughed until he cried when he saw that. So one Saturday after we had been in the pool for a while, I decided I would screw with him. And I got out and took a pic. I had my wife take a picture of me peering through the palm trees by the side of the pool that looked just like the skunk ape. And just sent it to him with no comments or anything. Fantastic. Oh I laughed for I laughed for about forty five minutes. <laughs> it was a good one. So anyhow, yeah, there there it is, folks. The legend of the skunk Look it ape. Up. We actually we actually have Florida Risk Partners skunk ape t shirts. Yeah. And I even took it a step further right. and made and made a, a skunk ape onesie for my man Nash Hayes Howe. Right. Oh he, he, he crushes that thing. <laughs> I need you this weekend to get me a picture of Nash staring through some <laughs> wearing his skunk ape one. That would be fantastic. I can do that. So listen, as we begin to wrap up, you know, this is your chance. Like what what do you think the one thing or a couple of things that all of us that are agents, whether we're agency owners or or just people who work in agencies, what do you think the key, the one or two key things are we could be doing right now to drive change in our industry? Biggest thing is, and I know it's a, a hot word, but culture and communication. We just talked for 25 minutes about it, about how there's lack of communication, even within a small five-person agency. I mean, when was the last time you walked out and asked one of your employees, hey, what can I do to make your job easier? Because think about it. If you're an agency principal sitting at your desk right now, if if your CSRs, maybe you're a two, three person shop, your two CSRs up and walk out the door. Do you know how to do endorsements? Do you know how to submit a claim? Do you know how to change the ink in your printer? Do you know how to do those basic things? Do you know how to set your system up to run night, nightly utilities for those that are still on TAM applied, whatever, which, whatever one it is? Odds are you probably don't know how to do those things and you probably don't have a procedure manual on, like somewhere saved in your system and you wouldn't be able to even read how to do those things. So the CSRs and the account managers, they're the backbone of your agency. So you need to make sure that your communication is open with them and that you're doing what you need to do to make their lives easier so they can continue to make you money. I'd say that that's one of the absolute basic things that you need to figure out before you even figure out technology and where you're going moving forward. Because if they're not happy, then your clients are going to be happy because they're coming in miserable and they can't service them right. And you're going to lose business regardless, no matter what you do. So I think that that's something huge that everyone should kind of just do a little mental note, mental check on. Um, and then if you are ready to move forward, I think, you know, something that you should be looking into is 
you're sitting on a gold mine of business right now, most likely that you don't even know. You're so focused on getting new business in the door, new business. We got to write more that you're sitting on stuff that you can be account rounding, you know, maybe run a report to figure out what your ideal client is and send them messages about umbrella policies or reach out to them and say, Hey, do you have a snowmobile and ATV start, you know, taking those little policies and account rounding. Cause that's going to make them stay and retain even more because now they have more business with you and they're not going to want to move it. Or beyond that, run a cross-reference list between commercial lines and personal lines. Maybe you've got these great commercial accounts and you don't have any of their personal lines. Or maybe it's a great large commercial account where you can go in on a Thursday night and just do an open session of, hey, what questions do you guys have? I know I'm not your insurance agent, maybe personally, but I'm here to answer any questions you have. There's no pressure. You don't have to get a quote. It's just, you know, I'll tell you what a deductible is. I'll tell you how this works. And they're going to remember that. And they're probably going to say, well, you know what? Maybe we should get a quote through him. So just what value added things can you do for your already clients that you have to make that relationship even stronger and to start rounding out the business that you're already sitting on that you might not have their full account for? I think I'm going to add one thing. Make friends with your peers. Okay. You know, with the internet, the way that it is today, some of my best agency owner friends most of my, actually all of my best agency owner friends for that matter are nowhere near me. Mm -hmm. I can have conversations, create mastermind groups where you can bounce ideas off of each other, hold each other accountable, whatever, but don't operate as if you're on an Island, because if you operate that way, it's 100% your decision to do that. Not because you can't, not because, you know, there's no no viable way. There's all kinds of ways to get plugged in. And even using groups like yours, Ashley, to, to facilitate some of that. That's why they're there, right? I think so many times we, I don't know, it's just, I could go on for, for days about all of this. But, you know, the industry is not going to change until we make the decision we're going to change it. And so people like Seth Zaremba that are pushing the envelope, people like, uh, Nick Ayers and, and Preston Schmidley that have developed better agency as agents out of nowhere, like and, and are now on the scene as a viable product. Pushing the envelope. Don't stop that. Listen, listen to podcasts, whether it be ours or another one. I realize not everybody likes us. Okay, that's fine. I probably don't like you either. I'm, I'm just kidding. I like everybody, um, and I give free hugs for people who come by our office. But uh, Dude, that is not, not something to say in 2020. I feel like that's not a good year for free hugs. Yeah, nobody's coming by for a free hug. Yeah, no. So, but but I just think that there are so many things we could be doing to be proactive in that process that we just don't do. We're in a comfort zone because we get in that mundane routine that it's just same thing over and over and over again. But when you look, when you look at the agencies that are growing successfully or that have good sized books of business, there's a reason why. And if you look at those traits, many of them have a lot of the same traits in common. And as agents, if we network with those people and align ourselves with them and allow people to mentor us, but at the same time, mentor people that need our help, then the industry by and large. Can't we all just hold hands and get along? Maybe not hold hands, but like socially distantly, like, kind of hold hands and get along. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to tell you is going to happen. If you don't listen to me and start making friends, I'm going to show up with a truckload of skunk apes at a national <laughs> convention and just 
release them on everybody. Uh, yeah. Wait, I, now I want a jumpsuit as well. I want to be able to go to a convention and wear that. I just want to come creeping out of the back room and just like start walking through the crowd and see what happens. It would be. I could see that. It would only be better if you like had one palm fraud in your hand that you oh could consistently gosh. put over your yep. face to hide behind. Hell yeah. Like, okay, oh, next convention, when God. you need a sucker to dress up as one, I'm your girl. <laughs> that well, we uh, the Independent Agency Owners Alliance has innovation in Tampa this year, so I just actually figured out Kyle's role. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> I'm all about. So it. listen, covered a lot of stuff, a lot of good, a lot of good uh, conversation back and forth. I'm sure people will want to, uh, you know, in the spirit of making friends and aligning themselves with the Beyonce of insurance. How do they find yeah, you? You can find me on LinkedIn. That's where you're going to get my um, professional and filtered comments about things. Or you can find me on Instagram, which is more so kind of my personal life and the photos. But, you know, in the stories, I'm posting little um, nuggets here and there. And that's going to be A-S-H-H underscore Fitz, F-I-T-Z. Yeah, and I think um, if nothing else even though we've not met personally, I can tell you that she is consistent in her love for Beyonce because I did see the engagement pictures from over the weekend and the caption was he liked it. So he put a ring there on you it. Go. So that's good stuff. Congratulations on that. And, uh, you know, thank you for all you're doing to further the agenda for independent agents up in the motherland for me. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, you guys are doing good things in Ohio. I hear about it from Bradley and Carrie Wallace and a bunch of other people that I, Bradley Flowers was, was just up there at a, a conference not that long ago. Um, so keep up the good work there and look very much forward to what I'm going to be able to do with the artwork thumbnail for this. I just don't know if it's going to be Destiny's Child or Foxy Cleopatra, but we're. Going oh to no! I was imagining like the black bodysuit with the heels from the single ladies video. There you go. Well, I don't get yeah, offended, so what so. do? <laughs> but um, no, and and seriously, thank you guys. Obviously, not just for having me on here because I wanted a cartoon made of myself. Like I, I wasn't even going to make you have me on here. I just wanted a cartoon of myself. Um, <laughs> Only one way to get the cartoon. Right. But um, but. But thank you guys for what you guys continue to do because you run agencies as well. You have other stuff on your plates yet you take time to have these podcasts and have these you know special guests on and it really helps continue to get the names out there and continue people making friends. So I appreciate all the time that you take to do this too. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up. People reach out to her if you want to uh, hear more from the Beyonce of insurance. Otherwise, we will catch you guys next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.